0: Welcome to Axis, Utah. I'm Tom Williams. According to an article by Nicole Washington, this is a National Geographic's food series, The Plate, we waste 2.8 trillion pounds of food every year worldwide. Meanwhile, 805 million people don't have enough to eat. She goes on to write, there's no one simple solution, but Dr. Eric Handler, Orange County Public Health Officer, is trying something new, connecting the dots between gathering extra food, identifying those in need, getting it to them, and making it easy for food service folks to participate. He's the co-chair of Waste Not OC Coalition or WNOC, uh, which he hopes can serve as a model elsewhere. We're going to be talking with Dr. Handler uh, later in the program. Matt Whitaker, director of the CASH uh, Community Food Pantry, will uh, join us as well. Uh, Dr. Handler, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: Uh, So you're a pediatrician. You've been in, uh, I guess, private practice, uh, schools, uh, government, have a a varied career, and uh, now back to your native California, I believe.
1: That's correct. Originally, I trained at L.A. County, USC, and... My specialty is pediatric rehab.
0: Uh, so how did the Waste Not OC Coalition begin?
1: That, that's a great question. I was in Sacramento for a meeting, and I was sitting uh, having breakfast when the director for the Orange County Food Bank said, Hello, Dr. Handler, can I sit down and talk to you? And I said, Sure. And during the conversation, which was about one hour, I asked him two questions that basically changed my life. And I said to him, do you have enough food in the food bank? And he goes, no. And I said, if we redirected all the food that was thrown out, could we end hunger in Orange County? And he said, absolutely. So my response Mm -hmm. was, then why aren't we doing that? Mm -hmm. And that's how this whole thing started.
0: Yeah, that's a... uh it's got to be a frustration, right? And that's what you're trying to address. There's there's this food out there, but we can't get it to the people that need it.
1: And what's most interesting, once we started this initiative, we realized that Orange County was one of the top 10 counties in the nation with the highest number of people facing food insecurity. Close to 350,000 people and one out of five children in Orange County don't know where their next meal is going to come from.
0: And that's surprising. You probably received this question before. Orange County is perceived as a rich county.
1: Uh, That's part of the reason why PBS National News did a 17-minute story on us last year highlighting the rich and the poor in Orange County. And they were highlighting our program to address the needs of uh, those that are most desperate for food. One
0: mm-hmm. well, of the things that I, I was, I didn't immediately connect it up, after I thought about it, I did, but uh, so you're Orange County Public Health Officer, and my immediate thought was, well, what's the Public Health Officer doing with, you know, working on food issues? And now if you think about it just one beat further, of course, you <laughs> connect those things up. I wonder if you talk about that.
1: Well, that, it's funny that you bring that up, because when I uh, wanted to start this initiative, I went to my the head of the healthcare agency, Mark Refwitz, and told him I was interested in ending hunger. And the question he raised and posed to me was, is this a public health issue? Because initially, if you think about it, it's kind of hard to initially make connect the dots. But we realized that the social determinants of health, which are poverty, housing, employment, and hunger, if you don't address Social determinants of health. You're not going to impact the overall health of the individual. So it's absolutely crucial that we come up with solutions to solve those problems.
0: Mm-hmm. This and article, therefore,
1: it is a public health issue.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, as I thought about it, just a couple of beats further, I thought, well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the dots do connect. This article by Nicole Washington. Um, she, uh, you, you talk about your time as a pediatrician and the fact that uh, people come in and and I guess the doctor, you could you could probably tell her, at least there's some indicators that maybe the family is food insecure. But-
1: well, I was in uh, practice for over 30 years, and I never, ever asked any family if they were facing food insecurity. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out with a resolution recommending for their next campaign this year to address food insecurity and ask two questions, that uh, you can ask your families to assess food insecurity. They're very simple questions. And once you do that, you can direct them to our pantry map, Google map, which was developed by some students who were with me about two years ago. So the interesting thing is there's 16 million children nationally who don't know where their next meal is gonna come from, 16 million children. And as a pediatrician, not asking that question, I think, is deplorable. Hmm. And until we start addressing it and saying, we know this exists and we need to talk to the families about it, I don't think we're completely doing our jobs as healthcare providers.
0: And, and you see that starting to change?
1: The National American Academy of Pediatrics has made this part of their mm-hmm. 10 resolutions, their platform to do just that. I have the support of the uh, Orange County chapter and we're pushing this out to say, look, at this is a standard. And so at Children's Hospital of Orange County, all inpatients are being asked whether or not they're facing food insecurity, and they've already screened 12,000 families. Mm. So the word is getting out. People are starting to ask the question. We're starting to identify them. So as we're increasing the food supply, we're identifying people in need. And once they express the need, they are referred to the Google map. You put your zip code in, and it refers them to the nearest food pantry.
0: And that would seem to be a critical piece of this because, as you said in this article, you—you you know you, I guess pediatricians might feel stuck because you can't write a prescription for food, but if you can point them to the right direction.
1: We now have a, an answer to the question. and so it's a win-win for everybody
0: so we are now
1: making it available our google map we have two one one O C, which is a resource that provides housing questions answers housing questions employment answers uh, where you can get a job but it also has incorporated our google map into their website so now they can identify families in need and refer them to a pantry
0: you just joined us we're talking with dr eric handler He's a public health officer for Orange County, and uh, he's involved in a, a new initiative, Waste Not OC, trying to connect up uh, food to the people who need it. Um, and that's a, it's a big opportunity, a big problem. Uh, there's a lot of food wasted, and a lot of people are going hungry. I wonder if you just give us an overview of, of Waste Not OC. I understand the food recovery is a part of this. Another part is uh, identifying food insecure individuals.
1: That. that- I I want to share with you, we have an organization in Long Beach called Food Finders that will pick up the food and deliver it to the nearest pantry. But what Mm -hmm. makes this partnership so unique, which is a public-private partnership, the coalition, we also are partnering with Yellow Cab. Yellow Cab will dispatch to the nearest location where food is located and take that food and deliver it to the pantry. And they have taken our seal which we provide to restaurants and grocery stores. When they donate food, they put a seal in their window. All the yellow cabs in Orange County have that seal inside their cab.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. The, the, and the it, It's very cool, yeah. and
1: it's a very unique solution to a difficult problem.
0: Yeah. Um, so why are you focusing on food waste? And would you, I guess we could throw money at this. Uh, uh, what... Uh, why, why, why focusing on food waste?
1: Well, there's many reasons. We we all have seen thro- food thrown away. But let me give you an example where it really hit home. We have a jail in Orange County called Theo Lacy Jail, and they contacted me and they realized that in a point of time, every day they were throwing away two thousand pounds of food. They realized that they wanted to do something and they knew our campaign existed. They are now, instead of throwing the 2,000 pounds of food away, donating 300 to 500 meals every day. And since we've started this campaign of food recovery, we've been targeting two cities, the cities of Anaheim and Orange. And since July of last year, we've recovered 77 tons of food, equivalent to 133,000 meals that never, ever existed before.
0: No, that's and that's a, a lot that's, of meals. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so who who else contributes food?
1: Well, we have the convention centers. We have restaurants. We have grocery stores. We are working with the schools to get them to encourage uh, donating food. So in the month of May, we had three schools in Anaheim start to donate. And in that one month, they donated 1,000 pounds of food. So our goal is to take this initiative and make it countywide, and we did this with very limited funding. United Way last year gave us fifty thousand dollars, and they gave us another fifty thousand dollars for this year. In addition, the only other funding came from the Health Care Agency to support a uh, part-time project manager. And I can tell you that this program is so crucial. But what makes it unique is that it's a partnership with Environmental Health. And the public health officer, with the private sector and the public sector, mm-hmm. so that's a very unique um, uh, approach.
0: Yeah, I could see the innovative as this is. There'd be a lot of good energy behind it. One, I know one, one potential barrier here. Restaurants, especially private uh, businesses, are concerned about liability issues with the food that they, you know, they throw away or donate.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because there's the Good Samaritan Act that says if the food is prepared correctly and you donate it, you're not held liable. So in November of 2012, we brought people from the food industry together to say, why aren't you donating food? And they gave two answers. Liability and the health department will allow us to do that. So our environmental health people developed a one pager explaining that it's okay to donate food, So when they go out and do inspections of the restaurants, they provide the restaurant owner with that one page and say, it is okay to donate food. If you want to do it, reach out to food finders and they will work out the logistics to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So it's an educational campaign to say liability is not an issue.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me how this, uh, how this works. The food finder, what shows up at the restaurant say what, and is it a regular process? You, you know, the, they know they can show up every day. What, how does it work?
1: So Food Finders has volunteers that go out to specific locations, and on a regular basis they know there's a certain amount of food, and they help them prepare it. They take the food and distribute it to the uh, locations that need the food. And we use perishable and non-perishable foods. That's what we're collecting. So Food Finders is are not-for-profit. We're a coalition, so any kind of funding or uh, contributions that we get, our fiscal intermediary is food finders which is a 501c3 mm-hmm.
0: by the way uh, our our audience you know maybe some people who want to help out how how do they help out
1: well we are de- in the process of developing a toolkit that can be replicated anywhere in any community in any county we right now have san diego county and la county very interested in replicating what we're doing so you can take this t- toolkit Take it to your community, take it to your board, and say, look it, we want to do something like this, and let's make it happen. My goal is to have this national, having everybody doing this, and my goal is that Waste Not OC won't be needed anymore, five years down the line, Mm -hmm. because everybody's doing the right thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great goal. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Dr. Eric Handler. Uh, who is involved in this new initiative, Waste Not OC Coalition, talk about food insecurity, uh, food distribution, food recovery. And uh, when we come back, we'll be uh, we'll bring on Matt Whitaker, who is director of the Cache Valley Food Pantry. More following the break.
2: Welcome to Science by the Slice. To address the frightening public health concerns of increasingly frequent drug-resistant pathogens, USU-Uinta Basin biology professor Leanna Etchberger and her students are on the hunt for new antibiotics. The students collect soil samples and antibiotic-producing microbes in the vernal area and upload their findings to a central database of samples from around the world. Their efforts contribute to a global effort to combat disease. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science.
3: Support for the Utah StoryCorps project is made possible by our members and the Utah State University Alumni Association, hosting the USU Alumni Golf Tournament this August at the Ogden Country Club. Information at usu.edu slash alumni.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We waste 2.8 trillion pounds of food every year worldwide. Meanwhile, 805 million people don't have enough to eat, and Dr. Eric Handler, Orange County Public Health Officer, is trying something new, connecting the dots between gathering extra food, identifying those in need, getting it to, to them, and making it easier for food service folks to participate. He's the co-chair of a new initiative called Waste Not OC Coalition, OC standing for Orange County. Uh, he hopes, hopes that can serve as a model nationwide, and we've been talking with him. We'll continue through the hour with Dr. Handler. Right now, we bring on Matt Whitaker, who's director of the Cache Valley uh, Food Pantry. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you. Good to be
0: here. Uh, so I, I understand we're catching a very busy day, distribution day.
4: Yes. It's, it's Tuesdays are always the busiest day okay. for us, okay. but it's, it's, a, okay. it's a good day.
0: All right. Well, that's yeah, that wonderful. So I understand you can all be on for about 10 minutes. Uh, so um, I don't know if we have numbers for for Cache Valley. How many people uh, access the, the food pantry?
4: Um, we're serving about 165 families, give or take, every week down here at the, the, at the pantry. Um, those are families, so that translates roughly to about six, seven hundred individuals per month.
0: And do, do, you get the, do you get the food you need? Do you get the donations? We do. Need? The community you is very really good right.
4: to us, both in right. uh, uh, you know, donations from grocery stores or from lo- just local community houses.
0: We've been talking with Dr. Handler about an innovative uh, food recovery uh, program, including uh, using a local cab company to, to go out and get the food. Uh, do you, do, you uh, do food recovery here in Cash Valley?
4: Uh, in the sense that the, we work very well with the grocery stores, they they uh, collect items that are uh, dinged or they have a slightly uh, you know tear in the box or they're close to expiration. They then uh, collect those, palletize them, they bring them right down to us. Um, so in that regard, we do. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so let me just right off the bat here, before I forget, uh, how can people help out? I guess you can donate food, uh, money. You take money?
4: Yes, money is one of the is a very precious commodity for uh, as you're very well aware for any nonprofit. Um, we get a lot of food donations, uh, but we, we need to uh, make the community a little bit more aware that we do accept financial donations. That's what helps us keep the lights on, keep the, keep the forklift, the van running in good order. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we do take uh, financial contributions.
0: Word, uh, what's the best way for people to get that to you?
4: Uh, they can go right to our website uh, at www.cashfoodpantry.com, okay. and they can see all about us there. We can see what we do, how we do it. They can make an online contribution there. Uh, or they can they can mail it in if they'd like.
0: Okay. Uh, and do you, are you connected with restaurants locally?
4: Uh, we do have two of them: Olive Garden and uh, Pizza Hut. Okay. Both of those restaurants will bring us uh, food items that uh, did not get served, mm-hmm. and we were able to give them away to the families here. In fact, some of the families have told us the only time I eat out is when I get Olive Garden at the food pantry.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let me turn back to Dr. Uh, Dr. Handler. Um, so it sounds like the, the, the Cash Valley Food Pantry is, uh, has, has generous donations. We're a smaller area here, um, but uh, I, you'd like to see your program roll out to, I, I imagine, places like Cash Valley.
1: It, it can be rolled out anywhere. And, again, I, I need to reiterate the fact that we did it with very minimal funding, and the majority was done with in-kind resources. What you're describing, what we've done, is not rocket science. It's so simple to implement. And when you have the support of your officials, county officials, and the public health department, I mean, it's a win-win, and nothing can stop that train. And it's extremely interesting to note that the different partnerships that we've established has just been incredible, and people are donating containers, bins, And one of the most unique uh, associations besides Yellow Cab is I met with the representative for CVS Health for the Western Region, and they are now going to be adopting a pantry near their store location and donating foods from San Diego to Santa Barbara. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, if Matt's interested, we could connect you up with with your website and such. Uh, So, Matt Whitaker, uh, who's... uh, who is using the Cache Valley Food Pantries? Families, individuals, do you, do you have a breakdown of, uh, of who's using the pantry?
4: Uh, as far as people who's using it, it's uh, all ethnicities we have here in the Valley, uh, all different age groups, um, whether it's children, adults, seniors. We serve everybody that, co- that qualifies for our program. Um, and, and it's not just the families that come here. We, we serve other area nonprofits as well. We have about eight different senior centers in a Tri-County area. We have uh, different special needs facilities. Um, we have um, abused women's shelters. Uh, all, all of these come down here, and they'll get foods for their organization, which saves them on their budget from having to go to the grocery store and buy it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they can take the money they saved by coming here and use that to further the programs. So mm-hmm. we, have a, we have a larger footprint in the valley than, than most people are aware.
0: Do you, uh, do you see a fluctuation in use? Uh, so, you know, economic downturn would seem a obvious time. Are there fluctuations?
4: Uh, the biggest fluctuation we saw was in 2008 when the bubble burst. We went from serving about 80 families a week to 175 almost overnight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's fluctuated the, the, the farthest, the lowest we've gone since then is about 135 families every week. So we haven't got back down to those numbers we saw prior to 2008. Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Handler, I wonder if there's a similar, I'll ask you the same question there, Orange County. Does it, does it, does it fluctuate or stay pretty steady, the, the use on the pantries?
1: Well, I'm sure it fluctuates. That's the answer we got from the uh, food banks. And depending upon the time of the year, they have uh, people using it more frequently than others. And what we're trying to – but, again, I want to point out that we're using perishable foods and Mm, non-perishable. So uncooked food, we pick it up quickly and distribute it to people in need. Mm -hmm. And that's also a unique aspect and uh, something that we are embracing and that ne- was not necessarily the way the food bank approached the issue. They yeah. were going after non-perishable foods.
0: Right. And that I think that's the, the usual model. Uh, Matt Whitaker, the, here in Cache Valley, is it mostly non-perishable or, or do you get perishable food? Uh,
4: almost everything we give away is uh, non-perishable. Uh-huh. We do get some perishable fruits from uh, the university once in a while or... Uh, you, you name it. Sometimes it'll come in, and we give it away really quickly to uh, one of the senior centers that has a kitchen that they can distribute that to the, the to the seniors who apply for their services.
0: Yeah. Uh, can uh, I
4: mention?
1: Can I mention yeah, one other ahead. thing about uh-huh. a university, if you don't mind? Yes. Go ahead. Um, we know that there's food insecurity in graduate and undergraduate students, so we are working with University of California Irvine to develop a student-run pantry to address concerns of food insecurity among the students. Mm-hmm. So they are going to be self-contained within the university. The university is giving funding to support it and I think it's really important that we at least address and identify that issue.
0: Yeah, I want to follow up with that uh, a little later in the program. So Matt, Whitaker, to you? I, I imagine you got some college students coming down to um, We actually don't,
4: don't. We have you uh, don't. Okay. Utah State University here in Logan and uh, several years ago we worked out with them a program where they have their own student-run facility now. They call it the SNAC, which stands for okay. Nutrition Access Center. Right. And so students who are facing food insecurity can, can appeal to that center and, and, and receive the foods directly from them.
0: Oh, great, great. That sounds good. Well, I know you have to get going there, distribution day, so tell us once again the, the website and how people can help.
4: It's cashfoodpantry.com, and you can go to that website, and uh, you can see the areas that we serve. If you'd care to make a donation online there, you can do that uh, via PayPal, via credit card. Uh, however you'd like to do that.
0: Okay, Matt Whitaker, Director of the Cache Valley Food Pantry. thank you so much.
4: Thank you very much.
0: And we're talking with Dr. Eric Handler, who is uh, Public Health Officer for Orange County. He's uh, involved in this innovative uh, program, uh, Food Recovery, um, is, is a part of it, and it's uh, called uh, the Overall Organization um, is the Waste Not OC uh, Coalition. We're talking about that uh, and issues of food insecurity on the program today. You can join us here at 1-800-826-1495 if you have a question or comment, or you can join us to uh, by via email to upraxis at gmail.com. Dr. Handler, I wonder if you tell us a little bit more about the uh, the program on, on college campuses. That's I think sometimes we don't think about college students being food insecure.
1: Well, there was an article from a university in Oregon where they actually surveyed the students and they realized that up to sixty percent of the student bodies student body had experienced food insecurity, and that just brought home the fact that uh you know we need to look at that issue, and at the University of California and at Irvine, there are not a host of pantries around that location, so it made sense to have the students run it, and it made sense to have the university support it. And when you have a student-run pantry, their colleagues, other students, feel more comfortable expressing the fact that they are food insecure. And there's a stigma associated with that. And if you go to our website, waste.oc, and hit the tab about us, and go to videos, we have a video of a general manager from the organization Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O, and he talks about being food insecure growing up, and it touches everyone. Whenever I give a presentation and I ask the audience, who knows somebody facing food insecurity or themselves faced food insecurity, I'd say 80 to 90% of the audience raised their hands. It's just astounding to me, and we are now on the national scene making presentations all over the place and the response has just been incredible and I'm just thrilled.
0: We have a couple of callers we'll go to you, to uh, to Frank and Jennifer next. Uh, I just wanted to follow up. Uh, I I think there is a stigma, isn't there? And maybe that depresses the response that people you know they want to go to the food pantry to the dead of night or something. It's uh, I think there is a stigma.
1: Well, you know, I also when I give my presentations, the stigma is the person asking the question. They have a stigma. So the healthcare Mm -hmm. professional does not feel comfortable asking the question. But now that we have a resource available to give an answer, if they answer yes, we are working with healthcare professionals to make them comfortable Mm -hmm. in asking that Mm -hmm. question. Because honestly, if you're a family or an individual who is hungry, forget the stigma. You want the food.
0: And that's that's the
1: most important thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess so you remove the stigma for the professional who's, you know, feels like they can ask the question and have an answer when when they get the the response. Let's go to uh, Frank and Logan. Frank, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question. Or well, I'm
5: delighted to have called. First of all, I want to thank Dr. Eric for this unbelievably fantastic program, and for you, Tom, for having him as a guest on the show. Uh, I was hoping to catch our local food pantry operator oh, okay. uh, to ask him a question, but I guess he's gone.
0: I'm sorry about uh, that.
5: That's okay. We were we were just coming back from the Smokey Robinson uh, concert in Park City uh, yesterday and stopped in Whole Foods to uh, get some snacks, and I could not believe their deli section, just overflowing trays of prepared food, different kinds of salads, uh, lots of it, very, very healthy stuff. And uh, I always wondered what happened to that food at the end of the day or after a couple of days. And uh, once I asked a um, person who worked in a grocery store, and said, well, we have to throw it out because uh, the health department won't allow us to give that food away and i thought to myself what a waste and uh... i would love to see that kind of a program with the uh... local grocery stores in cache valley uh... could have a cache valley version of this wonderful program and right on the line i'd, I'd like to commit to being involved with that uh... if we could get that going i know the non-perishable food is important but i think that many many families and individuals would love to take avail themselves of uh freshly prepared food
0: well yeah we'll, we'll need to get you connected up with uh, with the uh, cache Valley' it's, I think it's cash valley food pantry org. but uh, yeah we'll get you connected up thank you for that
1: oh you're very welcome
0: it's a great idea
1: I, I have something to help him out okay so is the uh, caller still on the line
0: uh, Frank are you still there I am okay
1: so Frank if you go to the waste dot OC website and go about us and go to videos, you will find a video by our food safety expert in environmental health. It's a two-minute video saying it is okay to donate food and liability is not an issue. I tell my audience, anytime you talk to anyone in the industry and they say we can't do it because of liability, you show them that video because the Good Samaritan Law is a national law.
0: And so uh, I would suggest
1: you take a look at that video because it's by an environmental health
5: specialist. Yeah. That's wonderful, and I know that yeah. you know all of our uh, food providers in Logan, Macy's and Smiths and Lees uh, do so much for the community. This would just be a wonderful way to not waste uh, prepared foods that they have available.
0: Yeah, that would be a good first step to to, to you know. Thank inform. you so much. Also, Frank, uh, I've pulled it up now. CashFoodPantry.com. Okay. com, and I hope you do get connected with Matt down there. Sounds Great. like you could do a lot of good there. Uh, let's uh, turn next to uh, Jennifer in uh, Logan. Jennifer, glad you called. Go ahead for your question or comment.
6: Hi. Um, I'm out in Bernal, but I grew up in Southern California, and I ran track for years and years, and it broke my heart to find out that Sunkist was throwing away mounds of oranges in order to maintain the price of oranges you know on a retail level and and the sad part about it was the very people who picked those oranges were not permitted to take these um surplus oranges home to their families and i i was so hurt by that because sun-kissed. i ran at a, a a, a, a track meet called the Sunkist Invitational and they had these big boxes full of oranges for the athletes but I thought how can you guys I don't know how can you live with yourselves when you're depriving your your pickers of this perfectly good fruit just so you can maintain a um, you know a price that is, is good for your bottom line so I'm just hoping that um the 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 uh, produce um, growers will will make sure that anybody who's out there working in those fields um, we're not throwing away fruit so that we can you know get a higher price for the fruit in the grocery stores. <clears throat> and then um, the other thing is in Europe they have um, special aisles or special sections for funny looking. We tend to be picky and. And uh, so if a carrot doesn't look just right, you know, we'll check it, but it's a perfectly good, nutritious carrot. And so they have even contests for funky-looking vegetables and kind of offbeat fruit, which I think is a good way to make uh, um, what would be considered seconds even more appealing than the regular stuff. But um, I'm hoping Sunkist is involved in your program because that was so heartbreaking. Anyway, that's just my little two cents worth.
0: Okay, thank you. So thank gl- you, Jennifer. I'm glad
6: you're doing what you're doing.
0: Appreciate right. that. Thank Thanks. you. Uh, Dr. Handler, I, I don't know if you know the situation uh, nowadays. Uh, you, you have any connection with uh, you know, pro- produce producers? Uh,
1: I know that we have two food banks, uh, second harvest and we have the OC food bank and I know that they are working very closely with uh, uh, grocery stores
0: yeah so hopefully so the, what Jennifer described not is not going on yeah
1: I hope not and I you know we are trying to encourage grocery stores and and to prevent what she described happening in Orange County hmm.
0: I wonder uh, uh, well first of all let's uh, take another break and when we come back we'll uh, describe some other very interesting projects uh, going on under the umbrella of Waste Not uh, OC, and you can find uh, their website. Their website is uh, WasteNotOC.org. Dr. Eric Handler is public health officer for Orange County. He's involved. He's co-chair of org, and uh, we're talking about uh, very innovative programs to combat food insecurity. We've talked earlier with Matt Whitaker from uh, Cash uh, Food Pantry. CashFoodPantry.com is their website. More following the break.
2: On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll take you to concert halls, clubs, and festivals around the world to catch live music by some of our favorite international stars, from Zimbabwe's Oliver Mtukudzi to Mexico's Julieta Venegas. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for World Music Live, the next Putumayo World Music Hour.
3: This is Miles Spencer Watson.
6: My name is Iris Bistanji. My name is Kiani Marshall.
3: And I'm Carrie Bringhurst, host of Morning Edition on Utah Public Radio. Join me and the Utah Public Radio crew throughout the month of July at the
2: Uinta Basin StoryCorps booth in Vernal. Registration and online information at upr.org. It's StoryCorps Uinta Basin in July. We hope to see you there.
0: Thanks for listening to Access U-Time, Tom Williams. Uh, we appreciate the response to the program. We're talking about food insecurity and uh, how to get uh, w- food that's uh, wasted, 2.8 trillion pounds of food worldwide wasted, to the people who need it. There 805 million people in the world who don't have enough to eat and the staggering statistics in the United States as well. Um, and uh, very innovative programs uh, coming out of Orange County. We have with us the co-chair of Waste Not OC Coalition, Dr. Eric Handler, who's Orange County Public Health Officer and a pediatrician. Uh, you can join the program at 1-800-826-1495 with your question or comment, and you can reach us uh, to our email, upraxis at uh, gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. Here's an email from Michelle. Um, your website talks about getting food to families and children who have food insecurities. Normally food pantries have families and individuals apply for food benefits that have to meet certain criteria, including earning wages that are below the poverty line. We know this poverty line should be higher and therefore leaves a lot of families and individuals not qualifying for benefits that they need. Does your program address those in need that uh, don't qualify, uh, is Michelle's uh, question.
1: That's a great question. We have in Orange County, 15 family resource centers where families can come in and see whether or not they are eligible for the SNAP program and other uh, economic support. Within each uh, family resource center, there's a pantry. And starting in August, all 15 will start asking the two questions regarding food insecurity to identify those in need. And if the pantry that they have on location is not sufficient, they will be referred to the closest pantry. So that's it's almost like a one-stop shop, and now they're adding another dimension, like I said, in regards to uh, addressing the food insecurity in those people that don't qualify for other mm-hmm. kinds of uh, food stamps, et cetera.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, just to finish Michelle's um, uh, e email. I'm involved with programs, she says, that try to reach these individuals, but we're constantly running up against accountability uh, guidelines, which are helpful, but create a gap for those in need. She says, thank you for this program, and I hope it makes a difference. I do, too, Michelle. Uh, and uh, a second question she has, are there better guidelines that address this coverage gap? It sounds like you're addressing this in, in Orange County.
1: Yes, we are. And I, I do want to mention what the two questions are, just for your audience. Question number one is, within the past 12 months, we worried whether our food would run out before we got money to buy more. And question number two is, within the past 12 months, the food we bought just didn't last, and we didn't have money to get more. Hmm. And if they answer yes to that, the family or that individual is facing food insecurity.
0: So those are questions, I suppose, that... Um, that. I could ask, you know, I don't know, I'd have to do it tactfully, I suppose, but uh, if I'm not a professional, I guess my question is, and I, and I maybe suspect that the, you know, my neighbors are food insecure, is it, how, how should I approach that?
1: Well, I mean, I, I can't answer that for you. But what you may want to make available to them is if you have extra food, or you you made some uh, additional food for dinner or whatever, you can make that available to the family in um, in a polite way. But it, it clearly requires that you to get to know your neighbors so that you're comfortable with that kind of support. But if people need the food, uh, they need the food. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the Art Jimenez video on our web, it's clear to see that, um, that they went from dumpster to dumpster, as well as from pantry to pantry, so that they could eat. Let's so if they're having trouble, I would reach out to them.
0: Yeah, well, that's good advice. Uh, let's go to Betty in Washington County. Uh, thanks, Betty, for being patient. Glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment.
1: Thank you.
2: Um, I used to live in the Kansas City area, and there there an orga- is an organization there called Harvesters, which does the same sort of work that you're talking about. And I just uh looked them up, and they're uh, associated with uh, an organization called Feeding America. Are you familiar with that, and are you associated with them?
1: So Feeding America is... Uh, see, Second Harvest see, uh, is a see, partner of Feeding America, and they're part of the coalition. So okay, yes. Okay, and then,
2: and then you've heard of harvesters?
1: Uh, I'm sure there's, them?
2: there's these, uh, you know, there's organizations all over the country uh, that... That do this sort of work. I'm not positive. I know that we have um, uh, food banks and uh, free lunch served uh, by a couple of uh, community organizations, churches, and that sort of thing in Washington County, but I don't know or think there is uh, such an organization to distribute um, perishable food, uh, which I think is, is an excellent, excellent thing. I, I hope that I can investigate a little further and see what's going on in Washington County.
1: So, so if you go to our Google map and click on any one of the pins, it gives the phone number, location, hours of operation, and whether or not they have refrigeration. So those okay. that do can handle perishable foods, but it, again, has to be
0: handled very quickly. But they do have sure. that capability. And, uh, and Betty, the, the uh, website for uh, Dr. Handler's organization, WasteNotOC.org. You can find out information. And maybe maybe connect some of this up to Washington Thank County. That would be great. Thank you. Appreciate that. I was uh, Betty in Washington County. You can uh, call the program at 1-800-826-1495. Toll-free, 1-800-826-1495. We have about uh, six or seven minutes left. You can reach us by email too, at uh, upraxis at gmail.com, Upraccess at uh, gmail.com. So, Dr. Handler, I wanted to uh, mention another couple of uh, very interesting programs. One, apparently uh, this is under Future Projects on your website. You're exploring ways to replicate the success of D.C. Central Kitchen, your community. I wonder if you'd tell us about D.C. Central Kitchen.
1: I'd be more than happy to. Um, The Department of Probation has a day program for teenagers between the ages of 13 and 18 where they learn uh, skills during the day, but at night they go back to their home environment, which can be troubled to say the least. We are in the process of developing a culinary training program where two to three nights a week for 10 weeks, they learn culinary skills. And at the end of 10 weeks, they get a certificate and it gives them an opportunity to get a job within the food industry. So we are, look, we have a partner identified we are going to uh, move ahead. We have funders that want to do this, and I'm very excited about this uh, initial pilot program so that we can de- uh, demonstrate success and take a larger group of people and get them involved in this.
0: Hmm. Uh, we're just reaching a, a just a few minutes left. I want to return to this. I think some people are surprised when they learn how many people are food insecure in the U.S. Well, you, you you gave us a number earlier in the program. I wonder if you'd... Give us that again.
1: So it was it's 16 million children are food insecure. But I, I want to, uh, if I can, um, one of the quotes that I made uh, during the national presentation was I didn't realize how political hunger and food recovery is. And it, it became apparent during this coalition campaign. And what we realized that it, it wasn't ver- as simple as we thought to get restaurants and grocery stores to donate. So that's why we targeted the two cities of Orange and Anaheim. But what makes it even more remarkable is the person who is in charge of the Food Recovery Task Force is a restaurant owner who is a true believer in waste, not OC. He speaks the language. So he when we have a, a wholesaler or we have a grocery store or a restaurant that says, well, we don't know if we can do this, He explains to them, yes, you can. There are tax benefits by donating food because you're decreasing your landfill, and you get a benefit from that. So he knows how to talk to them. I don't. I'm a pediatrician, and I'm a public health officer. I know very little about the food industry. So that's why this coalition is so critical, because there isn't a problem we can't solve, and we have people in the industry that speak the language that help us make this successful. Mm.
0: When you said political, I I thought you were going to say, you know, Republican Democrat, the conservative liberal is kind of a And, and Jennifer mentioned, in, or Michelle, rather, in her email, uh, you know, accountability criteria, which is why maybe, you know, so, it's a hard time to connect it up uh, sometimes that people are, some politicians are concerned with people taking advantage of the system who don't qualify.
1: Well, I can tell you that. Our Board of Supervisors is totally supportive of our effort. And when I talk about the politics, it's more about um, food product, and um, it's important that people are still concerned about a foodborne outbreak. So they're hesitant, even though there's the Good Samaritan Act, to contribute food to the campaign. So we work with them, we educate them, we assure them, and it works.
0: Hmm. What's—this is just— getting started I'm sure you have a vision for how this how you want this to look in the future what uh, what's the vision?
1: I want Waste Not OC to go away in five years and that every restaurant and grocery store is doing the right thing by donating their food every hospital and school is donating their food every convention center is donating food and we are actively identifying people that are facing food insecurity and they are referred to the Google map in a food pantry. Mm. And what's interesting too about this campaign is, you know, we have this coalition and I have people walk up to me and they say, I'm just one person, what can I do? And giving credit to my wife, she came up with the idea of adopt a pantry. Communities should go to their pantry, knock on the door, say, what can we do to support you? What do you need? So it can start with the individual or a community to bring this effort to full fruition. And I really think if everybody does the right thing, Waste Not OC is not gonna be needed anymore.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great vision. What uh, what help do you need and how, how can people help?
1: I think what they can do is to gather the community and say we don't wanna throw away food that's normally thrown away and we wanna redirect it to people in need and let's get on board and figure out how to do it. The
0: that simple. All right. Uh, The website is WasteNotOC.org. You can find out all all about this uh, exciting program and uh, some other ways you can help in Utah. We talked with Matt Whitaker, director of the Cash Food Pantry, and their website, CashFoodPantry.com. And uh, I should mention also uh, Utah Food Bank. Uh, UtahFoodBank.org. UtahFoodBank.org are uh, some of the sites. Uh, So, Dr. Eric Handler, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: It was my pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Keep up the good work. Thank Uh, you. We are going to talk about uh, climate change from the perspective of people of faith. Tomorrow on the program, we'll revisit a program where we talked with Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, uh, who is a scientist and also is raised in in, uh, faith, evangelical faith, and uh, she is a person of faith to this day. She tries to bridge that community, sometimes can be a... A uh, kind of a hard thing to bridge. She'll talk about climate change and uh, faith. And we'll also talk with uh, Interfaith Power and Light, some people from that organization. That's coming up tomorrow. And on Thursday, we'll talk with artist Paul Vanus. He does very interesting work uh, with uh, DNA testing, for example, and uh, putting that into art. That's coming up the next couple of days. Hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today.
5: Last week on Car Talk, once again, we were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> if the house is full of cats, would you expect it to be any mice in the house? No. They're all no, outside. No, you're I'm
6: nuts. Telling You're you. crazy, man. <laughs> you're getting crazier every day. <laughs> and you and know what?
5: And you're taking me with you. A, for more well-reasoned car advice, join us this week for the best of
1: Car Talk. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Access Utah is
1: a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan. KUSK-HD1-88.5 Vernal, KUSL-HD1-89.3 Richfield, KUST-HD1-88.7 Moab, and KUSU-FM-HD1-91.5 Logan.
5: Commentator, Gina Wickwar.
3: Everybody's using the term bucket list these days, and everyone seems to know what it means. Maybe it's because everyone, but me, saw the 2007 movie starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. I hadn't seen it, so it took me a while to understand what it meant when people told me that something exotic or important was on their bucket list. Since I've always had a list of things needing to be done, I was puzzled as to the origin of this neologism. But it wasn't a newly coined word. In fact, at least its origins are pretty darn old. A quick check on Google turns up a number of possible origins, all stemming from the idiom to kick the bucket. This term appears as early as the medieval church's use of a holy water-filled bucket set at the foot of a dying soul who, in a convulsive death throw, kicks it over or to a 16th-century reference to a promising beginning followed by a sad ending, as in the goat kicking over the pail after being milked, or to the 1700s when it was thought to have meant hanging a person by kicking the bucket from underneath his feet. In North American speech lore, there are similar origins to bucket lists, like the figure of speech to hand in one's dinner pail, which means to die or pack it in. These are just a few of the possible origins you come across on an online search, but it's clear, whatever the source, the term has made its way down through the ages, and a list of things you want to do before you leave this world is now a bucket list, a special to-do list before your own bucket gets kicked. Though I'd never heard the phrase bucket list until recently, I caught a good sense of its meaning many, many years ago when I was a young mother. It was the late 60s, and there appeared on television an especially wrenching advertisement paid for by the then fairly new organization called Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD. In it, a sweet-faced teenage girl walks lazily down a country road, but in a bewildering, horrific moment, she is struck down by a car driven by an obviously drunk driver. There's an instant blackout and then a dissolve to a graveside with grieving folks. And above the muted background music, the hauntingly wistful voice of the girl singing, And I Want to See Venice. I choke up even now as I recall the first time I saw that ad. Then my eyes were brimming as I rocked my own little baby girl in my arms, praying to God that she and all my children would see Venice, climb Mount Everest, fly to the moon, sail across the Pacific, and, and, and see and do everything in the world they wanted to do before they died. I wouldn't dream of reciting my own bucket list, and since I'm not planning on dying any time soon, I haven't really set one down in writing. But I want you to know, I promised myself long ago to see Venice with and Ben and I made sure all three of our children, who are now in their 40s with children of their own, have seen it too. A drop in the eternal bucket, you may call it.
1: This is Gina Wickwar. Coming up on the next Bluegrass Breakdown, it's the condition of being angry or hurt. It's also one of the five basic tastes, sharp and pungent, and definitely not sweet. But in the hands of folks like Larry Sparks, Tony Rice, and Valerie Smith, it's a subject matter of some mighty sweet music. I'm Dave Higgs, and we'll be taking a gander at bitter things on the next Bluegrass Breakdown.
3: Public Radio attracts an audience that is focused on professional attainment. Do you have a product, service, or degree that can further their career growth? Let our listeners know by becoming a UPR program sponsor. For more information, call Terry Guy at 435-797-3215. You're listening to Utah Public Radio. Stay with us for The Splendid Table, coming up next, followed by performance today at 11 and exploring music at 1 o'clock. It's currently 68 degrees on the USU campus in Logan.